Got that? Uh, page 975. Before I start reading, let me just pray that God will show us His Word and His love in that. We pray, our Father, that you would please tonight open up the Bible to us, that as we read it, we may see you open up your love for us and to see in that how you then make us more loving to other people. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5 and uh, it's on the screen but uh, keep it open in front of you but it's not on the screen. We're just going to read verses 15 to 26. Of Galatians chapter 5. Start verse 16. Okay. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like this. I warn you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, I'm going to hit the pause button there. Kids have got uh, something good going on and they'll be heading off for that and uh, we'll stay till they go. And Brilliant. Well, look, um, let me just uh, chat to you about uh, one of the things that, uh, if you're a Christian, is an occupational hazard and that is the fact that people love to put down Christians. It goes on all the time, doesn't it? Ah, it's all the religions that are caused by, uh, wars are caused by religions. Put-downs like that. It's been going on a while. So way back in 1843, there's a guy called Karl Marx who said, religion is the opium of the masses. In other words, Christians are junkies. They are so, heads are so full of heaven that really they put up with whatever's wrong now that's happening to them because they just have this future hope of happiness. And Karl Marx says, look, mate, forget the illusion of happiness. 
do something to make your life better now. Start a revolution, for example. That's what they did, certainly in Russia, after they'd listened to him. But, begin my notes, haven't I? But uh, while uh, Karl Marx uh, says that we've got people trying to be Karl Marx today, they're not just quite so clever as putting words together like that. So what they basically tell us is, look, tell you what Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about pie in the sky when you die, by and by. Look, forget that. Forget the illusion of happiness. Get some steak on your plate while you wait. Well, the Christian put down is always, you guys are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. But the Bible actually does talk about you changing your life in the present. And let me tell you, this change is bigger change than any revolution can bring. It's greater change. Because actually happiness doesn't come by changing governments, which is a Marxist creed. It doesn't change by, happiness doesn't come by changing our environment, which is a Dagnan dream. If only I could live somewhere else, I'd be happier. Now, change comes when I am changed. That's the Christian dream. And verse 22 talks about this uh, brilliant change. Uh, talks about a person whose character is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. All those different areas of change. And turn into a person like that. And there will be greater benefits in your life than Brexit can give you or that the EU can give you, or any change of circumstances can give you. Seriously, lives are much better today when we become more forgiving with our kids, when we are more patient with our kids, when we forgive more, and when we love more. And that can happen even if you've been really knocked around life and been deeply scarred by people who you once loved and trusted, maybe in your family, maybe even in your church. This is great change. And let me tell you, it's guaranteed change because this is change that God will bring. This is the fruit of His Spirit. And you might just want to ask, okay, so how does God change me? How will he do it? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And I want to suggest a simple way of describing how he does it so you can remember it after tonight. And then you can fall into step with what God is doing in your life, like Paul says in verse 25. Now, there's actually a helpful man called... Uh, Paul David Tripp, who uh, spoke about three trees. Now, I'm just going to take those three tree pictures and put what we learnt about in this Bible passage to help you to understand this Bible passage. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Now, this Bible passage is not just a little 
uh, bit that's cut out is part of a letter that a man called Paul wrote to friends of his in a church called Galatia. And what was going on at the time is that uh, people in this church were saying, look, trusting Jesus isn't enough. You also need to get circumcised. In other words, the way to real change is yes, to become Christian, but after that, keep the law. Then you change your life. And what Paul is saying is no, it's all God's work. The law can't do what God can do. And I'm going to tell you what God can do. And so he tells us that in the end, there is, this is not the work of the law. And you see that at the end of verse 23 as well. Because the big change that only God can make happen is, as Rob said in the children's slot, in the heart. You can't reach your heart, you can't change your heart. But it's the heart that is where the change needs to happen. So if you look at verse 16, you see that word desires, and it's actually mentioned three times in verse 16 and 17. So it's a big thing, your heart and its desires. That's what's got to change. And that's what God does change. Now, how does he do it? I'm going to say it in pictures, okay? Here's the first picture. What God... Sorry. Yes, the fruit of the Spirit, you've seen that. Okay. Here's the first picture. God turns on the heat. Let's say it all starts with something you don't like happening to you. Think of uh, an unexpected bill. Okay, and suddenly you're anxious and worried. Think of hearing that your teenage daughter is pregnant. And now you are beginning to feel shame and a whole variety of other things may be. Or imagine that um, uh, someone's uh, cut, cut you up on the road Imagine someone's not being kind to you, wherever that can happen. Okay, Let's imagine something bad happens that turns on the heat and makes us feel uncomfortable, helpless, panicky, shamed, angry in the heart. And actually often, when God turns in the heat, there is a physical difference in the heart. Your heartbeat gets strong, uh, gets uh, faster and so on. Okay? Let's imagine something happens to turn on the heat. You with me so far? Great. Now, our first reaction is usually to bear very bad fruit. That's the fruit described in verse 19. You can see how they're bad fruit growing there. So the works of flesh are evidence. So people respond to the heat of temptation with sexual immorality and sensuality. Okay? These are all the bad fruit that come out of heat and bad reactions to that heat. So we respond to the heat of someone we don't like in verse 20 with fits of anger. And maybe in this church, people who got angry with each other now suddenly start dividing from each other. You see that afterwards in verse 20 as well. So whenever heat comes, something bad happens I don't like, I immediately 
have a bad reaction normally. I bear bad fruit. Okay, I'm swimming down the lane in the swimming pool. I'm heading for a personal best. It's a good day. I'm going well. And then the person I'm sharing the lane with bumps into me and uh, knocks seconds off my time. Okay? At that point, he may not even know it because he's swum on. But in my heart, there's a fair amount of bad fruit going and the rest of the day I'll be irritable with uh, people that come my way. That's bad fruit. With that? Well, the second tree is the cross. First tree is bad fruit. Second tree is the cross. This is where a sinful heart is exposed. This is where a sinful heart is healed. Because the cross is the place where I realize I am a sinner. I can kid myself I'm a good person. I met two people this afternoon actually chatting on their doors. They were both convinced that they were good people. I can kid myself until I think that an innocent man had to die for me to pay for what I've done wrong. At that point I realize what I've done wrong has got to be serious. And it is really important for God to show me that, to expose my sin. That's why he turns on the heat. The heat, the bad things that happen are not just random, undesirable things that just happened to take place. No, that heat was turned on my God as part of his sovereign plan to change me. He did that with a man called Job in the Bible. If you know the story about Job, poor bloke, at the start God turned up all the dials of heat. Lots of things went wrong. Why? Because if you read the book you understand what God's really wanted to do in Job's life is to grow his faithfulness. And so the heat gets turned on for that to happen. Now, dear old Job did not bear good fruit at first because he questioned God's fairness. Don't get me wrong, Job was a very nice guy. He was a good bloke. The Bible says he was a righteous man. But when the suffering came, it kind of exposed Job's view of himself that therefore he should not suffer because he was a righteous man. And so he tells God that he is being unfair. And so God has to demolish his self-righteousness. Job has at the end of the book say, God forgive me, I got that wrong. But God had to expose and demolish his righteousness and then Job could learn the goodness of God that was his. Have to admit the fact that uh, we are not great in front of God. A man called uh, Spurgeon, a very famous teacher, he had a student come to him once and he said to him, Pastor, I've got good news. I finally put my old self to death. Really, said Spurgeon? No one's done that before. Well, I have, said the student. So you know what Spurgeon did? He took the glass of water in his desk and he threw it in the man's face. The man immediately got angry and he started cursing and he said, there. <laughs> 
your old person that you were wasn't dead after all. He was just sleeping. Just need a glass of water to revive him. <laughs> and what we need to realize is so often we have reacted badly. We've borne bad fruit, not because the other person did something wrong, but because our hearts are sinful. And what they did just exposes the sinful heart that we have. It's so easy for me to blame my road rage on the bloke who carved me up. And fair enough, he shouldn't have carved me up. He did something wrong. But I just happen to notice all the other drivers are much more calm than I am. Why? Because their hearts are different. Same driver, but different hearts. My heart reacts that way because it's sinful. And it's a really painful process to actually say to God, this is my heart. And it really is horrible. But the minute we do that, wonderfully we realize that we are in the position where God has deep love for us just at that moment in time. So that as... Um, uh, Psalm, yeah, it's not there, is it? No, yes, no, no, it's not there. Um, just at that moment in time, when we admit that we have collapsed, we discover that God loves us deeply. There's a guy called David. He committed murder, he committed adultery, got the order wrong. And he goes to have a conversation with God. You know what he says? In Psalm 51 verse 17 he says, God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Uh, lots of people talk about sacrifices, the kind of things they do to impress God. And David says, no, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You bring that sacrifice to God and you will discover a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. Because when you're broken, when you're contrite, that's when you look to him to make the difference and to save. And just like the prodigal son, you know the prodigal son, there were two sons, um, it's Luke 17, 15, uh, the prodigal son left his dad, <coughs> messed up his life, but then he did three things. He woke up to the problem he had, he owned up to the problem that he'd caused, and he went home to his dad. And we need to wake up, own up, and go home. That's what happened. And when he did that, what was the big discovery? That his dad hadn't stopped loving him. And he knew that he, he, knew he didn't have uh, God stop loving because he immediately gave him a massive bear hug when they came face to face. My friends, when you are rock bottom, imagine the bear hug if you have the humility in your heart to admit that your spirit is broken. And just as uh, uh, we have, uh, he had to experience the joy 
of the Father's love at that moment in time, so we need to feel that too. As David says in that same Psalm uh, 51, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me know that I am still safe. Because you see, my friends, if we don't go to the cross first, we go from bad fruit and then we'll try and bear some good fruit to make up for the bad fruit. But you've got to go to the cross first to see only God can save and do new things. And that's why the prodigal needed to go and find the father's heart. He was all set to go home to be a servant and to do his father's will dutifully and as obediently as he could. But that's not what the father wants. The father wants him to live in the joy of being a son. And so the second tree is the cross where God exposes sinful hearts. That shows that God deeply, deeply loves sinners. Third fruit is when we get to bear good fruit. Okay? Tree one is bad fruit. Tree two is you're getting there. And fruit and three you got it. <laughs> the third tree is good fruit. Okay. And what Psalm one says that actually all Christians are like fruit-bearing streams planted by water. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the point. Christians are already fruit, fruitful trees. You don't have to go and become one. You are one because of what Jesus has done because of his love. And therefore there is already evidence of God's Spirit in your life creating change. Because the basis of change is the new identity you have as a child of God. This is whom I am and on the basis of that new identity comes a new way of living. This is what I can be. And that new identity has a new desire that says to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you do the miracle? Will you bear this fruit in me that I am powerless to produce? And change is rooted in Him being in us. And that's what gets us into verse 22 and the good fruit the fruit of the spirit is reactions that we have when things are going bad in difficult situations see that's why they're called fruit of the spirit because they're not going to come out of us naturally so the context of love is, where it starts, is towards those who don't love us. Hey, it's easy to love people who love you, but what about the people who don't love us? Jesus says, love your enemies. 
And this is the point. Once you are a person who understands God loves you, then you can be a person who is full of love yourself. Because it doesn't depend on them being friend or enemy. You don't look at for an apology the bad things they've done. You don't look for the good side of them. You just have the reality of God's compassion towards you and that's what makes a difference in our compassion towards them. And so we go through the list very quickly. First, uh, joy. Well, joy is ultimately replacing disappointment with people because we see what's wrong in them. That's all we see. And what we do is we start seeing the evidence of grace in their lives. Just like uh, Paul looked at uh, that church in Corinth. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, write it down. I won't read it to you in full, but it says that there were people who ultimately Paul will have to correct fairly severely, but he says at the start, but I can see that God is working in you. There is joy in his letter towards them. Peace replaces tension when we seek reconciliation. What normally happens is when there's a tension, we build a fence and we try and put the distance in. And uh, what uh, the Bible says is no. Once you understand that God has loved you and created peace in your heart, you begin to start saying, hey, I can make peace with this person. I mean, it depends on, it, as far as it depends on you, is what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, but seek peace. Because God has given you peace with himself. It doesn't matter what they think of you. If you lose face and have to apologize, who cares what they think? God loves you. And that's your security. Patience is uh, not giving up hope. Uh, it comes when we realize that people's first reaction towards us may not be their ultimate reaction. So we keep uh, uh, trusting in them. So there's a guy called Mark, John Mark, who who left the Apostle Paul, they had a bust up, and he left the Apostle Paul, and he went, and he left Paul, uh, and he went back uh, from the mission field. And uh, there was obviously a rift in their relationship, but right at the end uh, of Paul's letters, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he says, look, bring Mark, he's very useful to me. The change had taken place. Keep understanding that what you see now may not be what you see ultimately. And God gives us that uh, confidence. Uh, patience, uh, where are we? Uh, yes, uh, kindness uh, is a very, very powerful way to create a change of mind in the person uh, who, in the end, may be at odds with us, even hostile to us. It's very interesting how uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, he's writing to people who are God's enemies and he says, don't you know it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance? And so what happens is that we start discovering that kindness is a magnificent instrument to bring people closer to us rather than to shut 
and push them away. Uh, goodness is uh, kindness in action, isn't it? It's uh, doing things that in the end uh, show people that uh, we would like to overcome their evil by doing good. That's what Romans chapter 12 verse 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Kindness in action. Faithfulness, well that mirrors God's love that refuses to be turned off, even when people get it wrong. If you know the letter of Hosea, it's about a man who is married to a woman who keeps running after other men. And God says to this man, he's called Hosea, stick with her, keep loving her. Because I want you to reflect my love for my people who let me down, but I'm, I'm still there. Uh, what about uh, gentleness? Actually, gentleness is a special way the Christians correct opponents. So, in chapter in two, in chapter, uh, two, in chapter two, verses twenty-four and especially twenty-five, uh, it says, "The Lord's servant mustn't be quarrelsome, but learn to correct his opponents with gentleness, and perhaps God will bring them to a knowledge of the truth." And uh, self-control, uh, which I think means that we don't need to react straight away. I'm struck by Jesus uh, only getting angry once. And uh, it's very interesting. I'm actually going to ask you to turn to this because I think it is just so interesting. You may never have seen it before. But keep your finger in Galatians chapter 5, okay? 975. Don't worry. You have got nine others. Uh, but turn to Mark chapter 11 and verse 11. Remember, it's the time, while you're getting there, I'll tell you, it's the time when Jesus got really angry with the way that people in the temple were trying to make money. And Jesus, when he turned over the tables, the money changes and so on. Okay? And you think, okay, that's the one time Jesus walked in, he sees what's going on, and he loses it. No. Because if you look at Mark chapter 11, verse 11, what do you find? Jesus enters Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything as and found, looked at everything as it was already late, what did he do? He went out. It's the next day that he comes in and does what he does. You see, there's a built-in delay, there's self-control. He does nothing. He sees everything, does nothing. It's the next day that uh, he makes a very, very powerful point. See, self-control means that our reactions are planned. They're not provoked. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit begins to just put the timing there so we can act, not instantly, but with a bit of a time delay there to help us to think first. The fruit of the Spirit, bringing out a new way of change in someone and helping them to bring change.
to other people they don't get on with. Now see, this is the changed life that uh, Jesus produces, which has got different desires to the desires of verse 16, because this has got a new heart, a different heart. And no amount of you doing your best, trying your hardest, giving yourself a new rule to live by, none of that will produce a life like this. I think that's what's meant at the end of verse 23 when Paul says against this, there is no law. Because this is the kind of new life, the new different life, the transformed life that a Pharisee would love to lead. But only the humble tax collector can have. Because they've been humbled by their own sin and now they're walking home in God's love. So to summarize it, this is a very, very powerful life that uh, non-Christians want. Who wouldn't want a life like this? It's just that they are powerless to have it. They may be very painfully aware of the first tree, where he's been turned on, where life's gone pear-shaped, or perhaps more helpfully, very thorny. And relationships are jagged everywhere and torn by the thorns that we've grown. And what happens normally when we have a disagreement with someone, there's either fight or flight. Either we come out with our fists going, verbally if not physically, or we just run away and say, okay, I'm not going to face up to this. And therefore disagreement is either, poli either polite distance or very aggressive distance between people. But where you have known this to be true in your own life, if you're not a Christian, can you see how this may be heat that God has turned on to take you to the next stage, which is to attract you to the cross, to help you to change. So you in your helplessness can ask him for a new life. And if you're not a Christian, then that would be a great, great encouragement to take home from what we're looking at tonight. But it may be that you've been to church lots and uh, you've been... Uh, hurt and not just by family members, maybe by church members, even by church leaders. I can tell you, I don't just grow bad fruit in sieving pools. I grow them in church as well. And I guess we've all been on the receiving end, people bearing bad fruit towards us. And my guess is we've all been on the giving end of bearing bad fruit towards others. And I think when we're church people, this is especially our problem. We are especially good at swatting specks in other people's eyes, and we never see the logs in our own eyes. Now Jesus says, look, first go to the cross, see the log. 
Now, maybe that you can then help people with the specks in their own eyes. That's important to do. But that's part of bearing fruit, to help them, to love them. But first, go to the cross, take out the log, and appreciate that God loves people, even with logs in their eyes, so you can then handle rightly the people with specks. Wake up, own up, go home to the Father. But really, if you want to be uh, a real believer and you want to follow Jesus, don't you find it encouraging tonight that it is His project to bring change to you? Because He can see that we're pretty useless at it ourselves. So He turns on the heat. It is such a difference to realize that the things that happen that really get you sparked up are under his hands, his turning the dials, pulling the levers, putting the heat on. Because he's putting us in situations that begin the process of change. That's how he does it. That's why he does it. And then he uses the bad fruit that we bear to prick the bubble of our self-righteousness. See, I can go along like Job thinking I'm a really good guy and then the heat turns up and I make a really bad reaction. At that point I realize I'm actually not as good as I thought. It takes time because normally when someone does something wrong it's me and my inner lawyer in me that jumps up and down and says, did you see that? What they just did, that was really bad. Yeah, and we've all got little inner lawyers that defend ourselves and blame the other person. But then we begin to understand, as I go to the cross and realize that my horrible feeling of failure has a different answer. And there is great love for the failure. And then he takes me out to love others. So it's his work. That's why it's so important that we understand the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's important that we plead with God, Lord, in this situation I'm finding it really hard to be gentle. Would you please work your fruit in me? And I want to suggest that maybe seeing the process like that, remembering the three trees, that they'll help us to understand what God is doing. So that as Paul says in verse 25, we can keep step. We let us also keep step with the Spirit and start living in these ways that God has uh, planned uh, for us to live. But I want to suggest we stop there and then... Um, We'll pray. Uh, you pray quietly for a minute. I'll then sum up in prayer. And then we'll take questions and answers so you can maybe come back and uh, we can discuss this more. Let's pray first to God. will help us to bear these fruit. You pray quietly by yourself. And then I will pray aloud.
Will it be prayers we finish? Lord, we do want to uh, thank you that uh, we can be honest with you, we can admit it when we are in the gutter, when we are struggling, because it's at that moment, it's that sacrifice, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And Father, we pray that you please help us to be those who see that you don't love people who are performing well on all fronts, but you love those who admit our brokenness to you. Help us to recalibrate our thinking to to see that uh, is where we open the door to your love. And then we pray, Lord, that in that moment you will restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And with that joy, as David says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Help us then in humility and love to bring that same love to others, to bring them to you. Please, Father, would you change us, change us in this greater way and change us in this guaranteed way by bearing in us the fruit of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.